Hello and welcome to the Church Doctor Podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Ball, and I'm happy that you have decided to tune in to uh, this latest edition. I believe it's our fourth episode and uh, of the Church Doctor Podcast. And so we're just getting started with a lot of good content. I hope you've been enjoying the content so far. And uh, last time we talked about the church. We defined the church. We also talked about the responsibilities of the church, you know, things like making disciples, things like impacting our society, offering sacraments and worship and prayer and building up one another. Those things, you know, if you say what constitutes a church, it's it's those things there. You know, church is more than just meeting together. It's meeting together with a purpose and and functioning in certain ways. And so in this episode, I want to talk about really the role of the pastor in the local church. And again, I hope you're beginning to think about your own philosophy of ministry. You know, what do you believe the scripture teaches about these things that we're talking about? Okay, so what do you, what do you think that the scripture says about the church? You know, does it define the church and what is the church supposed to be doing? Uh, the pastor, we're going to be talking about that today. We talked about the 11 marks of a healthy church, okay? All those come from the Scripture. So when you're developing your philosophy of ministry, and I think every Christian can have one and should have one. Every leader certainly should have one. Uh, you know, just begin to think about what the Scripture teach about these about these categories. So in these uh, last few podcasts, last couple and this one and, and the one to come, I'm kind of giving you an outline from which you can springboard off of that and come up with your own philosophy, but at least you'll have an outline of really what to look for and what to do. So today we're going to talk about the role of, of a pastor in, in the local church. And so what does a pastor do? You know, oftentimes people say, well, the pastor just preaches and works one day a week. Well, you know, that's kind of an unfair criticism. They only see us one day a week preaching. But all of us who have been senior pastors for any amount of time or pastors in any route, you know that there's a, you know, the preaching just the tip of the iceberg uh, of our responsibilities that uh, people don't see is, is tremendous. And so I want to talk about, first of all, what do pastors do? Uh, pastors lead people. We're leaders. Um if you're not leading people, you're really not pastoring because pastoring, if people are following you as their shepherd. And so as we as pastors, we're, we're leading people, we're overseeing people that was entrusted into our care. First Timothy 3, 1 Timothy uh, 3.1 talks about that. I'm just going to get my Bible real quick and, and go to 1 Timothy 3 1 you know because anything I, I teach i want to always back it up with the scripture just so you know i'm just not pulling it out of some leadership book or uh, just kind of come up with my own everything is really based in the scripture and so that you know scripture is where we go to that's a, that's the first place we go to to make our case so first timothy chapter 3 and verse 1 it says here's a trustworthy saying Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach and faithful. And, he, he begins, and we're going to talk about that here shortly, about the qualifications of a pastor. But we, we oversee, we, we care for people who have been entrusted into our care. And I think to not care for people 
Um, you really can't lead them. If you're not going to you know, care for people, they're not going to stick around. You know, the old uh, saying goes, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Uh, that's absolutely true. So you can have all the degrees that you want. You can have all of the theological training you can want. But unless you care for people, they will not follow you. They may initially until they figure out, hey, this guy don't care for me. He's in this for his own agenda. And then uh, you can't effectively lead people. So we lead people uh, really by caring for them and then really by example. You know, we're, we're out there living what we're preaching to the best of our ability. We're not perfect. But we, we live what we're teaching to the best of our ability, and that adds a, a sense of moral authority. Okay, So they see him pastor preach a message, but then they see him trying to live that message out. That goes a long way in people and say, you know what, we need to follow him. Okay, He's our leader because not only is he preaching it, but he's modeling it for us. He is setting the example, and I, I think that's good leadership. So what do pastors do? We lead people. Number two, we equip people for the work of ministry. So really preaching and teaching others is, is really one of the most prominent ways in which we equip others. And so I think that's what makes not only the Sunday morning sermon important, but Sunday school, leadership training. Um, if we are, you know, and I think Ephesians 4.11 tells us, you're right, he's given some to be apostles and prophets evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints to do the work of ministry. And I, I addressed this, I believe it was in our last podcast. Sometimes the church gets that mixed around. It's like we, you know, we kind of live our own lives and we pay the pastor to do all the ministering. You know, he's the minister. He's he's the one that's supposed to be doing this stuff. But uh, it's not really the biblical model, is it? You know, as we, as we talk about it, we are to train and we, tar- and we are to equip people to do the work of ministry. So the body needs to be ministering uh, to the body. And so um, in 2 Timothy uh, 4, let me see where I'm at. 2 Timothy 4, 2 says, Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For a time will come where people will not Put up with sound doctrine. Instead, they they uh, suit their own desires, and they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. So again, I think part of this is we are to train and equip people. We are to preach and teach in season and out of season because, and I believe that we're living in that time that Paul is talking to uh, to the Paul's writing to Timothy about. I think we're living in that time to where. People just simply don't want to hear sound doctrine. They don't want to hear the truth. To them, it's boring. It's not flashy. It's not blingy. And so they don't want nothing to, nothing to do with it. And so what they do is they accumulate for themselves teachers. You know, I like this guy on the radio. I like this guy on the TV. I like his message. I like that. And so we you know, gravitate to the message we like, which is, which is okay. But we, there's messages that we ought to hear that we may not like, but we need to hear them. So we need strong expository preaching and uh, from the bible to really and, and if we're being offended by a pastor's message we got to ask ourselves why am i so upset why am i so offended should i be offended do i need to be offended is this something that god is working with me about you know maybe god's getting my attention and while i don't enjoy it while i may not like it i need it and i just think that the church today has just abandoned that mindset and now we're just merely consumers 
you know, we consume from this church for a little bit, and then we'll hop onto another church, consume it for a little bit, and you know, we just start about, uh, uh, you know, we just start consuming different programs, and and um, you know, I just think, and personally, I think we're kind of living in this time that Paul was writing Timothy about, and so, um, so you know, we equip people through preaching and teaching. We equip them really through mentorship, right? Taking people along with us, teaching them, modeling it for us, or modeling it for them. Um, taking, you know, if, you, if you're mentoring a guy who wants to be a pastor, take him with you to the hospitals, take him with you to, uh, you know, the nursing homes and people's homes and help them, uh, you know, let them help with funerals, let them help with weddings, mentoring people. And I think that's another way that we train the people for the work of ministry. Another way is to delegate tasks. Okay. And I think as, I think as leaders, sometimes we can get impatient, right? So we, Instead of delegating it, delegating the task to us, it's more easier to just do it ourselves. We don't have to worry about whether it's getting done, whether it's getting done the right way. So we go ahead and do it. Well, what we're doing is we are we are setting that president in the in the church that hey, you know what, the pastor is going to do it, and we're just gonna we're just gonna watch him do it, okay? Because we'll mess it up. He's trained. He's got the schooling, and it's up to him. But that's that's not true. As pastors, we have to delegate the work we have to delegate to people what we want done because it helps them take a sense of ownership and pride in their church it, you know it's one thing to say hey that's pastor wayne's church or that's pastor bob's church but it's another one where they can take ownership through this delegation of tasking saying you know what this is our church this is the church that god has us at and and you know so they take ownership, and that's what i want to see as, as the pastor of my church is people taking ownership this is no longer Pastor Wayne's church. This is our church. It's it's we're together. We're doing things. We're sacrificing together. We're working together. We're, you know, we're we're praying together. We're struggling together. We're having victories together. You know, that's that sense of what you need in a church to kind of create this cohesiveness. And so, but if you don't delegate tasks to people, then you're just saying, hey, you know what? Sit on the sidelines, watch me burn, and you can just sit back and enjoy enjoy the church. There may be a little bit of a time where that's okay, but I think we need a norm people uh, working in the church as early as possible, even before the believers. And another way that we equip people for the work of ministry is allowing normal lay people to to, uh, to be blessed by working for eternal treasure. So we're this is we're allowing them to experience God's eternal reward. We're giving them a, a chance, an opportunity to earn eternal treasures that Jesus talks about in Matthew 6, 20. So what do, what do pastors do? We lead, we train the, the saints for the work of ministry, and I just talked to you about how we do that. Uh, third, we care for the people of the congregation. You know, and this is really what it means to be a pastor. So how, do we, how do we care for people? Well, we visit them in the, at home if that's what they want. You know, I'll just say, just diverge a little bit here. Um, home visitation is is not something that a lot of the younger generation wants or desires. Now, if you get into the older generation, they still like it when the pastor shows up and you know sits there and enjoys a cup of coffee or or a pastry and, and just kind of talk about life. You know, a lot of them don't have family around uh, and they're bored. They just kind of feel alone. And uh, to have the pastor show up, that's that's kind of the highlight of their day. And I don't think pastors, and I've been guilty of this myself, I don't think pastors ought to abandon that, that home visitation to those older saints. And, uh, you know, my, my ministry struggled 
in the beginning because of this, because we I had a certain number of older people that just loved me to come and visit. And I would go and visit them, but not as much as they would like. And I think looking back, I should have went more often because that was, you know, that was for them, that was the highlight. And, and I just think, you know, if you're in the pastoral ministry and you have older saints, go to their homes and visit them. And uh, they'll, it'll be a blessing to them. Go in the hospitals too, you know, when they're sick. Go up there and have prayer with them. Have prayer with the family. That just means something to people, you know, when you're there for them. Um, another way that we care for them is by praying. Praying for your church. Uh, as, as maybe you want to make it a, a daily routine or a weekly routine or just as God brings them to your mind. But let your folks know you're praying for them one way or the other. Slip it into the announcements. Hey, we've been praying for you this week or... You know, after church, I, hey, uh, John, I, I've been praying for your situation. Just to let you know that, you know, you're on my mind. You know, that means something to people that you're caring enough, that you're praying for them. And, uh, you know, another way we care for folks is comforting. You know, if they lose someone, um, you know, death is, is tragic and no one's ever ready. You know, it's like we're never ready to lose someone we love, but we know what's coming. Uh, but it's, it's always nice to have someone there who can just hug you and encourage you and pray for you. And just be there. Maybe just to sit silently. I, I know in pastoral ministry, you know, there's been situations where I kind of just kind of felt hopeless. Like, Lord, what do I say here? I mean, these people are really, you know, they lost a son or a daughter or whatever. So, you know, what, you know, I, I feel so inadequate. But a lot of times, it's not what we say. It's just being there. And they'll remember who was there. And that just means a lot. Uh, another way that we care for people is through counseling. Okay. And I think this is a, a, a ministry in the church that I think is increasing and should increase as we have people dealing with a lot of, you know, the world's complex. And uh, sometimes it takes uh, people uh, in the pastoral ministry and counseling to help people make sense out of the world and, and give them advice, godly advice. You know, if we don't give them godly advice from the counsel of God, there's going to be someone on TV or a friend that's going to give them advice from something that's ungodly. And uh, I just think that's a dereliction of duty if we don't uh, counsel folks or at least obtain the skill to do so, I think it's important. You know, we're dealing with a sense of depression, anxiety. We're still, you know, even though the pandemic's winding down, we're still in it. Um, you know, I know a few people that, that have COVID now. And so it's, it's still a scary time for folks. And, you know, that we need to be able to offer care, pastoral counseling. And so, so that's what we do when we care for people. Another thing that pastors do, so we lead people, we equip people for the work of ministry, we care for the congregation. Uh, fourthly, we protect the flock. What do we protect the, the flock against? Well, uh, things like false teachings all throughout the scriptures, you know, talking about, you know, the wolves and sheep's clothing, they come in and they, and they cause trouble. One of the ways that they cause trouble is through teaching false, false doctrines. And in the early church, there was a lot. There was a lot of false doctrines going around, especially after Christ. And the, you know, was was Jesus really God? Was he was he did he only appear to be God, or was Jesus fully man? You know, and and so all these controversies arose that needed these councils to come together to work out their Christology. Uh, but you know, there's still there's still. Uh, heresy going on today. Sometimes it's the old heresies that, that they dealt with back then. It's just kind of packaged in a new way. And so learning the scripture and being aware of the false teachings 
is is important to, to to protect our flock. We have to know what our people are listening to, what's on YouTube, what's on the podcast. You know, who are they listening to? And so it's really important that we try and protect them from false teachers. I've seen people in my own congregation get swept up into false. Um, I don't know about bad theology. I'll put it that way, bad theology. And they, they just got swept away in it, and it's sad. Uh, but back then, I really didn't have the, the the means to stop it. Now I do. So a false teacher, we want to guard against legalism, right? So you have to do this and this and this to be saved. Um, again, you hear people all the time, well, I don't have to go to church to be saved. And you know what? They're right. They're, they are right. That's 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 legit. Why Why is that true? Because we are saved by grace through faith, not of works. However, um, I think anybody who is saved, who has truly been born again, has truly been changed by the gospel, they want to go to church. You don't have to beat them into church. They, they want to go. They want fed. They want to worship. They want that fellowship. You know, they want to be taught. They, you know, they want to grow because the Holy Spirit's in them and they're giving them passion to do so. And so if you ignore the church and you say, well, I'm saved, but I don't go to church, um, you're missing out on, uh, I think, a blessed opportunity to worship with your with your fellow uh, believers, brothers and sisters. You're missing out on an opportunity to serve them, to get the blessing of serving uh, the folks in your church. You have spiritual gifts that if you don't use them, your church will suffer. Okay, so you're a part of that body. You're part of the, the universal body of Christ, but you're also part of the body of your local church. And, and if you're not contributing, man, that church is missing some, and, and you have what they're missing. And so being a part of the church, you know, that's just one area in which, you know, so we're not preaching church to get saved. We're preaching church because if you are saved, that's what, that's what you do. You go and you serve in that local church. Uh, you know, if you ignore church, it's kind of like being, a, you know, I'm married. I have the certificate that says I'm married, but if I never spend time with my wife, how long am I going to stay married? How long are we going to stay intimate together? Uh, it's not going to be long. So we, you know, uh, and the church dealt with uh, with legalism from the very beginning because they were leaving a religion of Judaism. And they, it was it was kind of hard to let go of that mindset where, hey, we got to follow the law. And... Um, and so that's what the council in, in uh, Acts chapter 15 was about. The council of Jerusalem, you know, was, you know, the, the Jews were saying, hey, if, if you're a Christian, you got to be circumcised and you have to meet these standards, you know, because that's what they knew from Judaism. And so the, what the council came up with is, hey, look, you don't have to be circumcised to be a Christian. You don't have to be circumcised because that's that's a work. You know, that's that's something that doesn't save anybody. And so we have to be careful that uh, we don't fall into legalism of any sort. And um, so divisions, we guard against divisions. You know, people who are divisive and they come in and they stir up trouble, we have to be bold enough to say, look, that's not going to be tolerated here. We want you here, but if you're going to stir things up, you can't, you can't be here. And I think pastors have to take the lead role in making that apparent. I, you know, again, that's something I hadn't done really good in the past. Uh, but again, you live and learn, right? You live and learn. Um, so we guard against passivity, right? The lack of vision. We guard against, and here's one that's become more prevalent, sexual predators. Okay, not everyone that wants to work in the church has good motives. Now, we don't look suspicious at anybody all the time. That would be paranoia. But you have to pay attention and do background checks and good interviews and, and, and follow up on their... Um, on their um, uh, application the the people that the references there you go 
follow up on the references and do our due diligence, right, to make sure we're not putting a sexual predator in with the children or in, you know, in with the women's ministry or, you know, so we really have to be on our toes. Not that we look at everybody suspiciously, but do our due diligence, due diligence to make sure that we're not putting our folks in harm's way by a sexual predator. And so, and unwise choices, we guard against, uh, we teach our protector flock from unwise choices. We just try and help them think through, if you do this, what's going to be the result? And just kind of logically thinking through things. And so, um, then fifthly, so we lead God's people. We equip the people for the work of ministry. We care for the congregation. We protect the flock from uh, false teaching, legalism, divisions, passivity, sexual predators, unwise choices. Uh, fifthly, we oversee the administration aspect of the church. So we do church budgets. We organize church staff. We file reports as necessary to denominational offices. Uh, we make sure that there's good accounting practices. Um, as you can tell, pastors really have a, and, and D.A. Carson said, and I believe I said it in our first podcast, that we are general practitioners. Uh, just like you know, a doctor is a general practitioner, means he kind of, you know, fixes everything, if you will. He doesn't specialize in anything. And pastoral work, you know, we're visiting homes in one minute, we're, we're counseling in the next minute, we're running a, a business meeting in the, in the next minute we're you know so there's we do all kinds of things and i think we can't ignore the administration of the church a because it can make our church look bad if we're not filling out forms or whatever and we lose our 501c3 or you stop becoming you know you get dissolved as a business by the state because you're not turning in the right forms you know you don't need that extra headache so you got to have good practices and administration and uh, especially when it comes to budgeting and, and handling money and how that's done. So it looks, you know, so it's kosher, it looks good, and uh, it would cause no one to ask questions or to doubt, you know, think, oh, they, you know, what are they doing with the money? You know, you don't want those kind of questions swirling around people's minds. So you have to set up these, these uh, guides and these things to make sure that that doesn't happen. And then I think lastly, we uh, discipline as needed. This is something that's totally lost. In the church, and so the principle we use comes from Matthew chapter 18. Jesus kind of gives us a formula uh, to deal with someone who has sinned against us. So, Matthew chapter 18. Let me turn there quickly. I know we're getting on in the podcast. Matthew chapter 18, look, verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. So first you handle your business alone with the other person. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take on take one or two others along. So again, now it's just you and them. Now if they won't listen, you take along a couple other people so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses says, if they refuse to listen, uh, tell it to the church. So now, now you're broadening that circle now to the church. If they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And so this is kind of, that's kind of the formula for dealing with people who need discipline. That's, that's the setup that needs to happen. You do it personally, alone. You take a few others with you. If they're not repenting, you tell it to the church. And, that, and then 
you know, if all else fails, then, um, I don't know if excommunication is the, the right term you want to use, but a distancing of them from the church because they're unrepentant and you can't have that in the church people in there causing problems. So sometimes discipline like this is needed. I will say this. We live in a society, at least in Western culture, where we don't want to be disciplined, where we want to do what we feel is right, and we don't want no one telling us that we're wrong. We don't want no one telling us that we can't do something. So when you set apart this discipline to people, there's a good chance um, that they're going to leave your church, You know that they're going to get mad, they're going to get offended, and they're going to leave. But you, we have to, we have to protect the flock. We have to dis- discipline people, not not harshly. We're not calling them out in the middle of service. But uh, I think Galatians six one says, if you see a brother caught in sin, restore him gently. So we do it gently. We don't want to embarrass people. Uh, we don't want to sit around and 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 get other people against them or or any, you know what we want to do in discipline is purely redemptive we want to redeem that situation that person that situation it's not to destroy anybody and i think we have to uh, really allow people up front to know that look look we're not here to destroy you or to embarrass you we're here to redeem you we're here to redeem the situation and you know we're going to go through a discipline process and so as a pastor, if you don't have a discipline process, allow Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 70, kind of be a maybe an outline for you of how you will deal with conflict uh, in the future and discipline. Um, I took a course in seminary called uh, inter- Interpersonal Communication and Conflict Management. And so we talked a lot about different scenarios, a lot about different techniques. Uh, but I think Matthew 18 can be a good basis for you uh, from which um, you can at least begin to think about a process for your own. So I hope that that was helpful again as we're kind of looking about and, and hopefully you've kind of been taking notes on a philosophy of ministry. Uh, I've given you some good pointers here. Next time we're going to talk about the qualifications of a pastor and what it means to be a successful pastor. Um, you know, I tell you, in pastoral ministry, sometimes it's hard to tell. I'm, am I being successful? You know, <clears throat> You know, it's one thing when you're, you know, if I mow lawns and I can mow my lawn and I look back and I've seen that it's mowed, it looks nice, I feel good about it. And pastoral ministry, a lot of times you don't get that 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 chance. You you just go and you do it and and you and you hope you're doing it good. It's not something you can look back on right away. And say, oh, it's finished. It feels good. Doesn't it look nice? That's not pastoral ministry. That's not pastoral work. Now you can't say, look, I counsel these people and they stay together. That's great. And so there are moments in pastoral ministry where you can see something good that you've done or as a result of what you've done, and that's great. But most of the time, you know, and so when we start talking about the, the you know, what, is it, what does it look like to be a successful pastor, this will be helpful if, if you need encouragement. And so until then, I want, uh, again, you can go on to our Facebook page, The Church Doctor Podcast on Facebook. You can also uh, reach the show by emailing us the church doctor the church uh, doctor podcast uh, at gmail.com. You can email me if you have any questions, if you need advice. Um, I am open to consultations or anything that that you would deem uh, that I any, any way I can help you. I'm open. And so until then, may God bless you and may you have a great rest of your day.